All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. This is Nick Freitas and welcome to Making the Argument. We got a lot of things going on in the news this week, uh, but especially I want to I discuss what's going on in Cuba right now because there is a bunch of protesting going on in a country that has an authoritarian socialist regime. And that usually spells bad news for the protesters. And it is amazing to watch who's being so quiet that a socialist authoritarian regime is most likely about to crack down on protesters and to discuss what specifically they're protesting about. All right, so we're gonna get into all that today. First, like, share, comment, follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, we're on all of those different platforms. Please give us your feedback. Give us a five-star rating. Really helps us push it out there. All right, let's get into it. So there are protests going on in Cuba right now. And there's different ideas about why those protests are taking place. Now, for, for those of us watching people protest in a socialist authoritarian regime, we generally tend to Go with the idea that, gosh, maybe they got a problem with all the, I don't know, government-run crackdowns and uh, you know, lack of, of goods and services and lack of a free market because the Cuban military essentially controls the economy down there in Cuba. All right, that, now, that's, that's the way we generally interpret this, and that's also based off of some of the, the things that we're hearing people in Cuba actually protest about. Right? But then there's the New York Times version of what they're protesting. And there's the, there's the United States government under the, or I should say the Biden administration's version of what they're protesting. So let's get into why is it that Cubans are protesting according to the New York Times and how they're protesting and what they're saying, how it's being interpreted through the lens of the New York Times, all right? So there's a tweet put out by the New York Times, and, and this, is, this is also in an article they did, and it says, shouting freedom, and other anti-government slogans. Thousands of Cubans took to the streets in cities around the country on Sunday to protest food and medicine shortages in a remarkable eruption of discontent not seen in nearly 30 years. Now, this tweet by the New York Times got some scrutiny, right? And, and I'm, I'm willing to bet you can already guess why, right? It's that opening line, shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans. So apparently, according to the New York Times, the desire for freedom is an anti-government slogan. Now, there's gonna be some people, as you discuss this with people, there's gonna be some people come back and be like, no, 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 they just said other government slogans. No, no, no. They didn't just say and anti-government slogans, they said and other anti-government slogans, 
right? So the New York Times is, is putting the idea of shouting for freedom, of demanding freedom, as somehow being inherently an anti-government slogan, right? And, and I think Don, ben, Don Bongino actually did a good job of, of showing how this is demonstrative of the divide that we see in the United States right now with respect to how we view the proper role of government and how we view freedom. So is freedom and is, is freedom by its very nature an anti-government slogan? Well, some people would argue no, some people would argue yes. I think within an authoritarian regime, you got a much better, you got a much better argument to make that that is something that they're, they're using to protest against the government specifically. And especially when we look at what's going on in Cuba, what, here's what I find interesting. The New York Times has revealed to us the way they view this. And this is something, there's a reason why Bernie Sanders, AOC, the squad is all being quiet on Cuba. And that's because if your situation is so bad, where the government is controlling the economy, the government is controlling your health care, the government is controlling almost every aspect of your life, and the government regularly uses police and the military to crack down on any sort of dissent, then yes, shouting freedom can very much be an anti-government slogan. But when the New York Times puts it that way, it comes off with this pejorative tone, as if there's something wrong with that, or if there's something extremist about that. And the reason why I think Bernie Sanders, AOC, the squad, and everybody else that has previously praised governments in Venezuela and Cuba and whatnot are being so quiet about this is because without even realizing it, I think the New York Times has revealed what they really think about this. And it's this idea that freedom is something that the government grants you. No, that's, that's not how this is supposed to work. The government is supposed to be established in order to protect your natural rights, your God-given freedoms. It's not a grant from government. But in putting it in this sort of tone almost makes it look like there's something, again, extreme about people in the, in the streets of an authoritarian government shouting freedom. Right? You even have one instance of someone carrying out an American flag, which, again, I find interesting. I find interesting that in... In the United States, we're always hearing from people like Bernie Sanders, AOC, Ilhan Omar, you know, the, et cetera, about how bad, racist, uh, you know, and horrible the United States is. And, and again, they say that's not what they're really saying. It, it really comes off that way. And how systematically corrupt and racist our, our institutions are. But then you go to a place that has all the sorts of policies that they tend to like, and they'll come back and say, well, we're not talking about repression of freedom of speech. First of all, I'm not entirely sure that they actually do support freedom of speech in the traditional way that we've understood in the United States, but let's give them that one. But on, on almost every other metric, when it comes to the government controlling healthcare, education, the economy, that seems to me to be the sort of things that AOC, Bernie Sanders, and the rest of them are advocating for on some level. And so, yeah, when they shout freedom, it is a direct repudiation of that sort of authoritarian system. And now some people will come back and say, well, look, we want, that's why we want democratic socialism, not authoritarian socialism. Okay, great. Show me a country that actually has democratic socialism. Because it's not Norway, it's not Sweden, it's not Finland, it's not Denmark, it's not Western Europe. Those countries are market economies with a very generous welfare state. Right? You can make that argument. You can't make that there's, there's you know, socialist democracies or, or democratic socialism. So every time you see socialism implemented, it seems like the only way that the regime can maintain power and carry out its policies is if the government has an inordinate amount of power and ability 
to impose its will on the population. And it leads to disastrous effects. And so now we see people out in the streets protesting this, and the New York Times is coming in and saying, well, shouting freedom is synonymous with anti-government slogans. And again, there's an element of that that could be true, but I think what most of us are frustrated about is the pejorative nature of how they're doing this. Typically, when the New York Times talks about anti-government protests within the United States, there's always pretty much a negative connotation associated with that. You'll notice when they're talking about a BLM rally, or when they're talking about a, a protest that essentially leads to rioting and the burning of down of small businesses, they typically don't talk about it as an anti-government protest, do they? They talk about a protest protesting injustice or protesting in favor of equality. But when it's Cubans living in a country where the government legitimately cracks down on you and your only path to success is built around how close your connections are to the regime in power, then all of a sudden it's an anti-government protest and, and shouting things like freedom is synonymous with an anti-government slogan, right? So it, it, it's, it's really hard to not interpret this in a way that suggests that the New York Times is, is perverting our view of this. Or maybe even better yet, as, as Don Bongino was pointing out, they're, they're showing us where the real rift is, where the real divide is with, the, with respect to how different Americans interpret protests like this. Because let's face it, the, the editorial board of the New York Times has become increasingly more comfortable with socialism, and I would even argue increasingly more comfortable with authoritarian-type measures in order to carry out the sort of policies they want, whether it's guns, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education. Right? They're, they're not sitting there arguing for, for more options, more individual liberty, more property rights, more economic freedom. They're arguing for more government intervention. Well, Cuba has that. And, and they might not like some ways that the Cuban government implements it, but the dirty little secret here is when you look at socialist regimes all over the country, there are times where it might start off more benevolent. We saw this in Venezuela. That's why you had Hollywood starlets and Bernie Sanders and everyone else talking about Venezuela being better at achieving the American dream than America. But what do you see 10, 15 years later? You see people eating their dogs for sustenance. Why? Because as Margaret Thatcher said, sooner or later you run out of other people's money. All right, so that's the first point. But here's the second point I want to go over, because I think this was also, um, this is also something that really stood out to me. And you, you saw Dan Crenshaw and you saw others hit on this. So Julie Chung, she tweeted out from, from the administration, she tweeted out, peaceful protests are growing in Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly to express concern about rising COVID cases, deaths, and medicine shortages. We commend the numerous efforts of the Cuban people mobilizing donations to help neighbors in need. Okay. So, first of all, are any of us surprised that when you see a freedom protest taking place in Cuba, that members of the Biden administration don't see it as a rejection of centralized authority and a socialist regime, but no, 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 it's, it, it's about COVID. It's about the COVID response. Right? That, that's why they're really protesting. And we support their right to peacefully assemble and express concern. First of all, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Cuba for the last, you know, I don't know, several decades. The right to peacefully assemble is not something that they're real big on, which is why the president of Cuba is calling on revolutionaries to basically launch counter protests against these demonstrators. Now, let me explain something. When the Cuban government talks about they want their revolutionaries to show up to conduct counter protests. Okay, that's when they put their military and police in civilian clothes, throw them out there 
with their own little placards and signs and then start cracking down on the other protests so that they can put out their little propaganda films demonstrating that, no, 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 this isn't the Cuban people. This is a small section of dissenters. All right, so that's the first problem with this, is this idea that there is any right to peacefully assemble or to express concern in Cuba. Yeah, they might have a natural right, but don't tell me it's a right that the government down there actually recognizes, supports, and defends. Secondly, this is about rising COVID cases. Okay, let's assume for a second that that's really what this is about, that it has nothing to do with the, the crackdowns on freedom of speech. It has nothing to do with the government control. It has nothing to do with the Cuban military controlling the economy and deciding who's going to be successful and who isn't. Right? It has nothing to do with the abysmal um, medical services within Cuba or the education services within Cuba. Let's assume, no, it's not about that. It's just about rising COVID cases. So I, I looked something up. I wanted to see how exactly were people talk, how exactly were people on the left talking about Cuba during COVID. So let's let's read a couple articles. This one's from August 6, 2020. Cuba's response to the this is from Foreign Policy uh, magazine. Cuba's response to the coronavirus pandemic is a useful example of how authoritarian regimes can sometimes handle a crisis better than democracies. Yeah. That was, that was one of the headlines for impossible. Let's look at another one here. Down to Earth Magazine. How left cousins won praise for their COVID-19 fight. Both communist governments are battling out the pandemic with robust healthcare and emergency services. That was from May of 2020. Let me see. How about NBC? Cuba sends white coat army of doctors to fight coronavirus in different countries. Nearly 40 countries against, across five continents have received Cuban doctors during the pandemic. How about The Guardian? Oh, I love the Guardian one. The Guardian actually praised them even more, um, talking about what a great job Cuba has done in handling COVID. And then finally, if, to top it all off, Emerald Insight, Cuba's response to COVID-19 lessons for the future. Let me read the abstract from this report. The purpose of this paper is to examine the relevance of Cuba's medical system, its health tourism, and related diplomacy in the context of the recent COVID-19 pandemic for the global response to disease outbreaks. And it ends by saying this, this paper demonstrate how Cuba's unique response to the pandemic, which included sending thousands of medical staff abroad, can inform structural and global issues and contribute to a more sustainable future. All right, so that's what everyone, on, that's what everyone was saying about Cuba. I mean, Cuba was getting high praise to, to the point of even saying how an authoritarian regime can handle this response better than democracies, right? And so now, now all of a sudden, when we get this headline, July 9th, 2021, Cuba sets new COVID-19 record with over 6,000 daily cases and 28 deaths. Now, all of a sudden, what, what, what the administration, what the Biden administration thinks is the primary cause of people protesting, it's, it's just about COVID. Really? Because five minutes ago, Cuba was being praised on the national stage by a, a bunch of left-wing papers as an example for not only how to contain it within your own country, and let's keep in mind, Cuba's an island nation, but to also help everyone else in the region. All right, so I, forgive me if I find it a little bit disingenuous if all of a sudden you're saying this is, this is purely about COVID. That sends, that, that sends the message to me that you are trying to take what's going on in Cuba right now and ram it in to a messaging strategy with the White House 
that better fits your narrative and doesn't cause us to ask more important, deeper questions about how the Cuban government oppresses its people and controls its people. Because I, I am willing to bet, keep watching over the next couple of days, if these protests continue, I, I guarantee you that the Cuban government is not just going to sit idly by and let people go around protesting. At some point, this will lead to violent uh, suppression of the protests because the Cuban government finds it embarrassing. Because despite all the praise that's being heaped on the Cuban uh, government's response to COVID, it clearly hasn't achieved the sort of results that they're putting out. Not to mention the fact that I, I'm willing to bet a lot of these numbers coming out of Cuba are the ones that are released by the Cuban government. And at some point, because we always know this with authoritarian regimes, they never put out honest numbers. And, and generally speaking, the only time we get a, a view of how bad it's really gotten is when it gets so bad that even the government can't restrict the information from getting out. Either because they, they need foreign assistance or because it, it's gotten so bad that people can simply get the word out. Right? And, and that, again, is what is so frustrating about how members of this administration have responded to this. So let's look at how do we talk about this? How do we, how do we make the argument when we're talking about what's going on with, with Cuba? And how do we respond to ways that the New York Times and the ways that the administration are, are reacting to this and the way that they're trying to message it away from being a larger narrative about an authoritarian socialist regime and just trying to fit it neatly into either, I think, denigrating people that are protesting and, and protesting over freedom, not just COVID-19, or the way that the administration has handled it, where they're trying to make it exclusively a COVID-19 issue, which, remember, keep in mind, a lot of national and international news outlets were talking about how great Cuba had handled this and how authoritarian regimes can perform better than democracies in this case because they have centralized power. And now that the truth's coming out that, that Cuba's having a hard time handling this at a point when most other countries in the world have at least got it up to a certain level of control where, they, where we're starting to see a return to normalcy. Okay, so first things first. When we, when we watch the New York Times use that sort of terminology, when they say shouting freedom and, and, and other anti-government slogans, the question that we should be asking people that, that view it from this prism, the first question that we should be asking them is, why do you think shouting freedom is automatically an anti-government slogan? Because in, in the United States, when people talk about freedom, I, I don't think they mean anti-government in, in the way that we just need to overthrow and overturn the entire system. In, in fact, if you look at the people that want to that are actually advocating for a systematic overhaul of our entire system, it's not coming from the right in this country. It's not coming from the people that are constantly shouting freedom and individual liberty and free markets and private property rights. We're not the ones asking for the entire government or, or our constitution um, or, or court packing. You know, we're not the ones calling for those things to either be significantly altered or, or completely overturned and replaced with something else. So that's the first question that we should ask, right? Someone comes and says, oh, this is, you know, freedom and other anti-government slogans. Okay, why do you think freedom is an anti-government slogan? What does that tell you or what does that suggest about the government that's being protested if you're making the term freedom synonymous with an anti-government slogan? 
And, and if you do see that as an anti-government slogan, then can someone please explain to me why the New York Times typically does not describe leftist protests in the United States as being anti-government? They might be anti-administration, but typically they talk about them fighting against systematic racism or fighting against inequity within the system or fighting against white privilege or fighting against you know, some, some, some aspect of our government that they believe that has created inequities. And then if you look at the sort of solutions that are being offered, whether it's completely defunding the police, whether it's packing the courts, whether it's significantly altering the constitution, right? that's not coming from the right in our country, that's coming from the left. And yet the New York Times doesn't categorize that as an anti-government slogan. That's an important question to ask because asking that question will get somebody that it, you know, agrees with this particular headline in the New York Times to open themselves up within their own presuppositions. Why does the New York Times and other international media outlets, why do they choose to frame the debate this way? Is that just honest, objective reporting? Or are they demonstrating to us that they report it one way when it's a rebellion against a socialist regime and they report it differently when it's protests within the United States. Or specifically, when it is considered more of a you know, right-wing or even libertarian-type protest, it's, it's automatically anti-government, but when it's a left-wing protest, even if the objectives of that left-wing protest are to drastically change the government in a way that doesn't bear any resemblance to the way that we've been organized in the past, but all of a sudden, that's not anti-government, that's just sticking up for justice. Why didn't the New York Times say they shouted freedom and other justice slogans, other anti-authoritarian slogans? Right, I think that's an important question to ask. The other component of this is whenever someone is telling you, whenever you know, an administration, right or left, I don't care, but whenever they come out and they, they tend to categorize a particular protest in, in a certain way, right? They, Julie, Julie Chung's, argument was essentially, this is a protest about COVID. Really? Is that, what they were, is that what they were shouting about? There was another article that said that they were denouncing misery. They were denouncing misery? I'm sorry, is anyone promoting misery as a policy? No, what were they really protesting about? And what does it tell us about the, set of the sort of government that they're living underneath? But when she tries to narrow it down and to think, well, this is about COVID, one of the most important things that you can do in that moment is go back and, and do what I did on this podcast. What was everyone saying about Cuba and their response to COVID? If, you're, if, you're, if Julie Chung is part of the Biden administration is gonna say that what this protest is really about is COVID, well then, okay, let's go back and look at how Cuba handled COVID and how the international um, community and journalistic uh, institutions were reporting on how Cuba was handling it. Because from what I can see, it was a lot of high praise. It was a lot of high praise for Cuba. And now all of a sudden it doesn't appear to be working. So here's my question. Why isn't that the story? Why isn't the administration going, you know, previously it was thought that the Cuban government did a good job, but now it looks like maybe it didn't. And you see this all the time when people are reporting on socialist regimes. You saw it all the time in Venezuela where they were coming in and talking about, oh, this was the wave of the future and how Hugo Chavez was taking care of his population and how they were raising the quality and standards of living. And then all of a sudden when it all collapsed, 
There was no going back and looking at it with a little bit of introspection and thinking to themselves, gosh, maybe we got this wrong. Maybe there was something involved, not, with the, not just with the individual policies, but with the ideology, the political ideology that they had adopted in Venezuela, that they have adopted in Cuba, that set them up for failure. And it's, and it's totally fair for us to ask those questions. Wait a second, five minutes ago you were all saying that Cuba had done a great job on this. Now all of a sudden we see this huge spike. And you're trying to say that these protests are just about COVID? You don't think maybe it has a little bit more to do with it than that? You don't think that maybe there's some, some broader frustration with the socialist authoritarian government that they have? Because again, last time I checked, I don't know anybody from, I don't know any Cubans in Miami that were getting into leaky rafts and trying to float down to Cuba for their excellent response to COVID. I don't see anybody, any of the, the Cuban population within South Florida desperately trying to make it down to Cuba in order to live freer lives where they don't live under an oppressive regime that you know, is racist against them. But you do see the opposite happening. You do see people from Cuba. In fact, the last time there was a major protest like this in Cuba, you saw a massive, a massive effort by Cubans to get to the United States. To get to this country that Bernie Sanders and AOC and the squad think is horribly, systematically racist and fundamentally flawed and doing a horrible job on COVID. But you don't see the opposite. You don't see that happening. Why? That is a fair question to ask. And, and as I look at making the argument for this particular issue, it's not just about pointing out the apparent inconsistencies with respect to the way the New York Times reports on things like this. It's asking, why is there an inconsistency? Why is it that when someone is protesting a, a government which advocates for individual liberty and actually provides for protections for, for peaceful protest, for free markets, for private property rights, why is it that when the left protests that, it's not seen or it's not categorized as some sort of anti-government protest, but really just crying out for greater justice. But when it's people in a left-wing regime protesting for greater freedom, they immediately categorize it as anti-government, and then the administration and people on the left come out and desperately try to categorize it as only being about one thing, in this case, COVID, as opposed to a broader um, frustration with the way the government, that left-wing government is running that country. Is that truly objective? Or can an argument be made that the press and this administration is on some level providing comfort to a regime that has implemented many of the policies, not all, many of the policies that reflect what people like Bernie Sanders want to do in this country? I think that is a fair question to ask. And so, I want you to think of it that way. So two things, right? Let's just do a quick sum up. First point, when the press comes out and reports something like this, when they report protests in places like Cuba or Venezuela or Hong Kong, what I want you to do is take a look at the way the press, the way the, the left-wing media reports on those protests in those countries, and then go back and look at how they report on left-wing protests within the United States. Because you're going to see a drastic difference in the overall tone, the language that is used, and this pejorative spin that they often put on it. 
You're going to notice that. And what I want you to do is find examples like that so that when you get in a conversation with somebody, you can bring that up. And again, you don't, you don't need to assert it. Just ask the question. You know, I'm confused. Why is it that when this was going on, when the protest was going on in Portland or Seattle or Minneapolis, the press covered it this way, but when the protest is going on in Hong Kong, Venezuela, or Cuba, the press covers it this way? Why do you think that difference exists? Ask that question and see what the response is. See how they respond to that. The second point, and this is very important because it's not only, this is just the latest demonstration, but when somebody is protesting in a left-wing country and all of a sudden politicians or members of the press try to essentially hijack the nature or the purpose of the protest in order to put it into a category that they are more comfortable speaking with, Simply ask the question, well, yeah, COVID-19 might be part of the reason for the protest, but it seems like it's more than that. So first of all, do you think that's the only reason they're protesting? Or do you think there could be more to it? And if there is more to it, then can you please explain to me why you think the press or why you think members of this administration are trying to categorize it within a very, very narrow boundary? Why do you think they're doing that? What is the purpose of that? Is the purpose of that to really get to the bottom of the nature of these protests and what people that are protesting really want? Or is it an attempt to hijack the narrative so that you can provide talking points to an administration that desperately needs them? All right. Thank you very much for watching Making the Argument. Again, please like, share, post, and comment. Right? I, we really appreciate it when we get the comments. We, I try to get on there, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook. Those are two of the best place to comments. Get in there. Let us know what you think. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can write a five-star review, and then you can actually leave a note for us. Do you like what we're doing? Do you not like what we're doing? Is there a topic you want us to cover? I do watch those. We try to interact with the comments. And then we also use that sort of feedback to determine what sort of shows that we're going to have in the future, because ultimately, our goal here is to help you make the argument. It's not just about me sitting here putting this out. It's about designing arguments that are relevant for you in your daily life, whether it's talking to your kids, talking to your friends and neighbors, talking to your boss, your college professor, whatever it might be. We want to equip you with good, solid arguments that you can use and that most importantly are true and that you can be proud of. Once again, thank you for joining us on Making the Argument. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.